The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock, and today I am joined by Jordan McNamara. Uh, you might know him from the Football Guys, but also from the Analytics of Dynasty Book, which is what we are going to be talking about today. Uh, Jordan, how are you doing, man? How are you enjoying quarantine? How are you enjoying self isolation? Uh, I, you know, it's it's a it's an it's definitely an interesting uh experience when we, we initially talked about this you were like hey can you do middle of the daytime and this was like pre you know world pandemic and i was like oh it's tough and now i'm out of work and i'm like any day you want like you pick the time so it's yeah uh, it's just a whole different a whole different experience but hanging in there and uh yeah just hoping for health and all that stuff yeah all right man so uh explain the project you know the book for the folks who are not familiar with it yeah. So the analytics of dynasty. Uh, so I have, uh, this is my second one. So I had a 2019 edition, which was, uh, I released in, in January of 2019. It was basically the 1.0 version and it all started from a DFS research project. Like I've, I've been into dynasty for a while and I decided to you know really try and hone in on playing DFS and what would be like the early part of 2018 did a whole bunch of research on pedigree and just a whole bunch of, you know, age and just all these things. And I, as I was sort of doing the research, I just realized how much overlay and dynasty there was. And so I just started writing it down and I, I got some ADP data and I looked at it and I was like, there's a lot here. So I wrote the whole uh, 2019 edition and released that in January, 2019 and just thought I was going to be done. It was going to be like an evergreen one-off book. Uh, and then I started thinking more about it and talking more about it and, you know, people would ask me questions and there was a lot on Superflex, and, you know, that, that I couldn't write about cause there wasn't any historical ADP. Um, we could just sort of, we could guess, but there wasn't any ADP to really look at or any data. Uh, and then in the summer of 2019, so this past summer, I was able to get my hands on some historical ADP going back to 2014, uh, thanks to Rotoviz. And I said, all right, now there's some, like now there's stuff to write about. And so, and I had some other ideas too, in, in terms of different ways to look at players, but I said, all right, let's, you know, a big focus is going to be super flex. And so I did that and uh, released it in January and it's been, uh, it's been uh, a good experience. And I, I've uh, been trying to implement it in drafts uh, so far in the off season. So uh, this is, this is a question I always ask everyone when they come on, you know, kind of what is your ideal 
dynasty league settings for me you know the the listeners are just so sick of me talking about it but these <laughs> super these super flex best ball dynasty leagues where you know you can just grind it all off season you do the rookie drafts you do you know trades and everything in the off season and then for the most part during the season it's just kind of a a set it and forget it and i do definitely prefer the super flex what is your you know favorite uh you know dynasty setting yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit different. I like the deeper the deeper it'll go, the better. So, I mean, ideally, start two quarterbacks, start two tight end, but it's tough to find that. Um, I, I do. I probably won't do a start one quarterback league any again. Like I'm in some now, but certainly Superflex is the way it's going. And I like the I like some deeper rosters. So I like you know I play yeah 30 man rosters for sure. Yeah, 25, 28, 30 man rosters. Like you have to, I think you got to get into there because, and once you get into there, like you, if you have an edge, right? If you have an edge and you're making more decisions against your opponent, it's just going to, over time and over roster spots, it's just going to rack up an advantage. So I, I really like that aspect of playing a little bit deeper rosters. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoy that as well. So I think that, you know, talking about edge, I think that leads us to, you know, a, a, a very intrinsic point, I would assume, of, of the book, which is, you know, what do you believe is the biggest mistake that even, you know, experienced dynasty players make routinely? Like the kind of mistake that is, is maybe like doctrine, like people think like, oh, you know, I need to do this or this is the correct way to do things that your research has shown to be a mistake. I think over, the, over both books, um, and, and the first book was, it's not the same, like, it's not just a college edition textbook that I just change a couple words around and re-announce it as edition 2.0. Like I did a whole different topic, but it sort of hit on it in, in different ways, uh, which is the idea that, that wide receivers are better investments than running backs, like for long-term is just, uh, outside the top, call it five or six rounds of a startup draft is just simply not true. Um, that's simply just not true. Uh, in terms of retaining market value, it's not true. In terms of impacting your teams, it's not true. In terms of uh, predictable starting weeks, it's not true. And so basically what you're doing is anytime you, anytime you take a, a wide receiver over a running back outside the top, you know, in super flex, we'll call it 75 picks in the startup draft. Historically, you're just hemorrhaging value. Um, and so, uh, you know, from that, and you see these rosters where you get guys that have, you know, two to one, three to one wide receivers to running backs. It's just a very, very inefficient way to draft. And it's all based on that false premise. And so, you know, my, my teams, I'll try and flip it the other way and, and build it two to one. If I can get two to one running backs to wide receivers, I feel really good about it and really try and push the envelope and get that up to three to one in some deeper leagues. Like, that's the stuff that has really, really high impact and high upside. So that is really interesting to me because that is, you know, especially with zero RB becoming, you know, a really popular redraft strategy. And, uh, you know, the, I actually think Saquon Barkley being drafted to the Giants and the Giants sucking has had a huge impact on the fantasy football market as well because it's really shown uh, it, it, what it, what it's done is it's shown so many people that the running back position is super, super fungible. You know, I mean, we had Raheem Mostert and Damian Williams as the starting running backs in the Super Bowl last year. Like, I, it is now a popular idea that the running back position is a replaceable position at the NFL level. And I think that has bled into people's thinking in Dynasty. So if I'm interpreting your results correctly, 
and, and you feel free to tell me if I'm wrong or if this is not the right way to take it, but it's just that you need to have a pretty even balance of running backs and wide receivers on the bottom half of your roster because those running back breakouts are super important. But not only are they super important, they're actually more predictable than wide receiver breakouts because wide receiver breakouts rely on skill, whereas running back breakouts are all opportunity-based. Uh, yeah, so I so I would roster like this year. So I've I think I've drafted two teams so far this year, and maybe outside of the top, we'll call it top hundred picks in the, in the startup draft. I think the the it has gone the wide receiver position. It is deeper this year in terms of guys in the later twenties and thirties that I'll target, like guys like. Um, you know, Jarvis Landry is falling into the 30s in ADP after finishing in the top 15 last year, right? That's that's good value. But sort of after that line, there might be four or five guys at their price point in ADP that I'm interested in throughout the rest of the draft. So I will go, you know, I'll look to get four or five, six wide receivers in the first, you know, eight, nine, 10 rounds, and then basically don't address the position. And that allows me to sort of rack up the the running back volume in terms of one injury away type guys. And what you'll notice is one of the, one of the big things that I think about is, is what you said is the, the predictability of running back starts. And what you'll see is like, I, I, I have a chart in the book that I ran. Basically I incorporated the starter rate from MFL into a lot of my analysis so I'm able to sort of, and I have a, a metric called warp, which is wins over replacement. And then I have a metric called a warp, which is adjusted wins over replacement. And that actually factors in the, the starter rate of players. So, you know, you know, if you, if you have, uh, you know, Kiki QT a couple of years ago was, was a player who had, you know, at 10% starter rate, had a huge game, you know, had, uh, you know, hundred yards and, and a touchdown and then his starter rate spiked up and then he produced like two or three dud weeks in a row and then his starter rate dropped and he did it again right that's that's totally lost production and it's actually he's got a negative impact on your team because you were sort of behind the ball at running back what you'll see is if you if you get 20 if a running back in his career gets 20 games in which he has a top 24 starter rate in mfl he has uh you you can predict him to finish with 20 top 24 weeks now it's not to say they're all the same weeks but over the same time span essentially you're getting a one for one if you get a wide receiver who has 20 starter weeks over over a span of their career in terms of starter rate so they're started in the top 24 uh, most high most highly started wide receivers 13 weeks is what you would expect for top 24 production so you it's a huge deal in terms of in terms of running back predictability and the impact can be really high because like, just think about Latavius Murray last year, like in, in a what two or three game sample size, he approached half a win over a placement and that short right. of a, of a time span, which is just a massive impact. And there was a couple of years ago where there was an eight week stretch where TJ Yeldon and Latavius Murray started essentially eight games as backup running backs four I think it was four a piece right in a row and they won a game over a placement right that that is a, a, a huge impact and you knew exactly when to start them so I think that is such a huge impact and, and the wide receivers there's so much flux fluctuation week to week 
it's, it's really tough to predict it. And touchdown rate has such a big deal with that, has such a big impact on that, that it's really, really difficult to pick which weeks wide receivers are going are gonna to pop off. And that's really shown in the data. So typically, like in the flex, this is how this boils down for me is in the flex. If I get the chance to start a, a running back and a wide receiver who are about equal, I think you always break ties in favor of the running back. So I'm comfortable playing a very narrow band of wide receivers and just playing them every week and dealing with the week to week variance and knowing that I can predict better the running backs that I'm going to start in the flex or my running back two spot or whatnot, um, making those decisions in week. Well, and you also are very likely to get discounts on these running backs. So, you know, for example, if you wanted to trade for Latavius Murray right now, um, you know, if you wanted to trade for Jalen Richard, uh, if you wanted to trade for Naheem Hines, for Bryce Love, you know, a lot of these guys who are one injury away from being starting running backs in the NFL, you're going to get pretty discounted rates on those players relative to what their value would be in a start. Whereas like, you know, if, if you want to trade for Andy Isabella right now, who like literally might be the sixth wide receiver on his team might not ever really be a meaningful NFL player, but because he was drafted highly because whoever drafted him in your league probably really likes him or probably is really attuned to the, Arizona Cardinals offense, you know, really likes Kyler Murray, uh, really likes Cliff Kingsbury. Like you'll probably have to pay a decent amount for Andy Isabella who like literally might not score 50 PPR points in 2020. And when, when, when are you ever going to start him? But like, when, when is that week going to be? And let's just assume everyone gets hurt, right? Kirk gets hurt. Hopkins gets hurt. Fitzgerald gets hurt. And he's out there. There's nothing to say that those targets are going to funnel to him. Whereas in a situation like the guys you mentioned, like Latavius Murray, we have a pretty good idea. If Kamara goes down, it's going to be Murray, right? Right. And there are, there are, I don't know, maybe six to 10 of these positions each, each year. I mean, Tony Pollard, right? If Zeke goes down or Zeke gets in a bar fight in a Vegas strip club or whatever, like Tony Pollard is going to be the guy that's going to replace him. And those things are, are much more one-to-one than targets ever are at wide receiver. Right. Yeah, that uh, that is certainly true. So another thing that I really wanted to talk to you about from the book is rookie picks. You know, what is your research found in terms of do people overvalue rookie picks? Do they undervalue rookie picks? Are they, you know, treating all first round picks the same when there is a, a huge break off? Like kind of what have you found in terms of valuing rookie picks in dynasty leagues? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think to start, you have to you have to keep in mind that the trades you see on Twitter, like it, some of them are bad, right? So trading Julio Jones for like 110 or something like that, that's a bad trade, right? So with that caveat aside of those those bad trades from a, when you put rookies in a startup draft, right? You, you I have a chart in the book that tells you where historically they have gone in terms of their startup picks. And what you'll see is, um, you know, that like this year, for example, they're going at maybe call it 10 to 15% higher. They're going so high. I've done three startups this off season and there is a super tax. So I've done one in which the rookies were actually in the pool and then two where we selected the rookie picks as part of the startup. So there's a little bit of extra optionality. And uh, I mean, they, they are just going so high, these picks. 
Yeah, and that like the I mean I've seen Jonathan Taylor at 106 in a super flex draft. That's a startup draft. Um, he was running back three behind uh, McCaffrey and Barkley, and it was a league that I was in, and I almost fell out of my chair. I mean that is just so much risk to take right now. Um, but generally speaking, I, I think people misunderstand rookie picks, and it, it comes from a couple of different perspectives. If you if you're in a trade and you're sort of accumulating a, a future pick, for example, so if you're, you know, we'll call it a random 2021 first, or the 2021 first round pick from a team uh, that you're accumulating in a trade, that is actually historically, you know, I, I did an evaluation of, I basically asked people in a in a Twitter poll, I said, what do you, where do you value that? And most people valued it at between 106 and 107, which is exactly in the middle of the round. Um, which you would think would be the, the random middle spot. But what you'll notice is when you actually attach production to it and when you attach warp, which is my wins over replacement metric, it actually comes a lot closer to 105 because it, the picks aren't just a linear line down. There's a huge sure. drop off from like one to two, and then there's a big drop off from two to three. And then what you see is it sort of flattens out once you get to the middle of the round and the difference between 111 and 112 isn't that big. So there's a lot of upside in terms of having a random shot at getting, you know, a one, uh, a 101, 102 type pick. And what you'll notice at the same time is, is that the picks are overvalued. So are, the, are people, people think that their pick is going to be better than it is. So, you know, I did a, I had, I did a startup draft and then after the startup draft, I just asked people, you know, what, what do you, uh, what, what are your odds to win in year one? And the average answer was 22.6% chance, which uh, comes out to be well over two and a half times as much uh, odds. As just like a, to, like a random distribution would be way, way less than that. Yeah, it'd be 8.3%, right? One out of, one out of 12. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so what you'll notice is like it, there's a ton of overconfidence. So people are, especially in startup drafts right now, like you'll see people – I mean, it's six, I mean, it's what, five months from the, from the start of the season, if everything goes well and people are just trying to trade up and, and get those, get their picks and make these firm bets right now where there's so much uncertainty in the market. What you'll notice is that the, uh, you know, the, the, the trade value of them, I think there's a hidden value, both in terms of the upsides of the picks and there's a, uh, the in terms of the the just raw value of the picks and i think they're undervalued from people trading them away the people that trade them away don't appreciate how much how how much randomness actually is in those picks um so from a from just an acquisition perspective i think that they're they're undervalued um and then then it really comes down to when you're picking them is to to not there's there's classic mistakes to make and so what I did is I went through and I looked at the, just tell me what the NFL draft pedigree is for guys that go in the top three. And I broke it down by position. So uh, running back, it's about like 17.8 is the average uh, NFL draft pedigree for a, for a running back that finishes in the top three picks and, and rookie draft ADP. And for wide receivers, it's about 9.5. And so the implication of that is, is you think about a guy like Nikhil Harry and Nikhil Harry goes at the end of the first round last year, and he's more than three standard deviations outside the average uh, top, uh, top three pick for wide receivers, right? And people are taking him at 101 and 102 and just hemorrhaging value just in terms of historical draft pedigree. 
David Montgomery was another perfect example of that. He was going 102, 103, 104 in that range. Now, when you stack him up against the rookies, he's going 111, 112. And you were just hemorrhaging a full round of, of NFL draft pedigree uh, because the situation looked really good. Uh, and so that's really one of the things that I think about is like, don't make, try not to make big mistakes like that and try not to, yeah, if really you, if you don't pick. have to, like, even if you have the one Oh three, try and trade the pick away, try and access, you know, some kind of veteran talent, because like we do have the tools available to compare David Montgomery to like historically what the one Oh two, one Oh three, one Oh four should be worth. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but we, we, we lose perspective on that. And I say we, I think the market generally does because you get, you get rookie hype, you get rookie fever. And I think that's really, really exploitable if you're willing to play the patience game. And that's not to say that you need to try and compete seven years from now, right? These, these people that take these extreme long, you know, long timeframes on competing, I, that's not what I'm advocating, but I'm just, sometimes when you're when your opponent is making mistakes, just let them do it and, you know, accumulating more shots. And this year is a great example of that because there's some, there's a ton of uncertainty. I mean, what happens if one of these guys picks up, picks up coronavirus in the next, you know, right before the draft? I mean, that, that, the odds would tell you that that's a pretty high likelihood that that happens, whether we know about it, it's a different story, but what does that do to a draft uh, draft pedigree? We don't know how a bunch of these guys have tested. So for example, like JK Dobbins, we don't know what his athletic profile is. We think we have a pretty good idea, but we just don't know. So I think this year there's going to be a ton of uncertainty in terms of the players and, and how they stack up historically that you got to be really careful on mortgaging a lot to make these bets. If you get more and more opportunities and we see NFL teams talk about this. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers are advocating three more rounds, right? They're, they're pretty sharp historically. And so that sort of should speak to, I think that we should take some of that trickle down this year in particular into our draft strategies. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, it's always good to just sort of, you know, just sort of adjust to what the, uh, what the market is giving us. So what are, um, you know, a few of the surprising things that you found in your research? So you went in and you were like, you know, I, I think that, I think that I'm going to find this, but I ended up finding X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So, so the, the wide receiver value thing was a big thing. Um, so that was, I mean, that, and that's, that's foundational dynasty analysis. And once you sort of reject that premise, it gives you a whole lot of opportunities to do, to, to just really capture value. Um, I think the other thing too, is I had this perception that, that first round wide receivers are really sure things. Uh, and first round NFL draft, first round NFL draft. Yeah. And yeah. NFL draft pedigree is such a huge impact on like if, if I knew nothing else and I, I joke about this, but like, if I just were to tell my sister who knows nothing about football, like, Hey, here's the types of players to pick and just the, you know, like you would tell someone to play poker hands, like here are just the, the positions and the pedigrees of what you play. And just, take yeah, she would, she would build better rosters than someone who's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to film scout all of these positions <laughs> and just, and just go draft off the film. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you see, you know, so that that's such a huge impact. Uh, but what I was surprised about is like, you don't like it happens really, really early for wide receivers in the first round or a dozen. And so like, you'll see the, the hit rate outside of round three, or excuse me, out of, outside of year three. So once you get like a first round wide receiver who doesn't hit in the first three years, uh, going back, like there's only been going back to 2000, there's only been 
three wide receivers that have hit in year four or beyond in terms of a top 24 season. Peter Warwick, Michael Crabtree both hit in year four and Devontae Parker hit in year five. And that's it. So when you think about that, like it's, that's a waiting on guys like Corey Davis, right? That is a, it's a super rare thing. Yeah, probably, probably not going to happen for Corey Davis at this point. Right. And if I were to sort of take the opposite side of that and say, listen, paint the picture, Corey Davis does have a top 36 season under his belt and Crabtree and Warwick both did as well uh, coming out of year three into year four, but it is a, it's not a, it's not a high likelihood thing. I mean, you're looking at less than 20% of the guys do it. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty low rate. Um, Will Fuller, same, same thing in terms of he's entering year, I think it's year five now without, without a hit. I mean, it's a, it's a low likelihood that he does it. So that's one thing that really, and when you look, when you compare that to round two guys, actually you'll see round two guys hit They're more, you know, once you get to past round uh, year three, the round two guys will actually have a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, they erode in terms of hit rate slower. And I think that that makes some sense. Like you see guys, Golden Tate and Robert Woods, who don't get full usage as a wide receiver one on their team. And then they sign a free agent deal, end up someplace else. That's much more likely to happen for a day two wide receiver than it is a day three wide receiver. Hit rates are still low, but those types of things are really are really, really impactful um, in terms of knowing career arcs. And then one thing I, I was always curious about, in the first analytics of Dynasty, I looked at, you know, average hit rate for draft pedigree and, you know, just knowing, hey, what, what does it mean to be a third-round wide receiver? And then and, – but I thought that that kind of – as I thought more about it, like the Kenny Galladay, you know, what's it mean after Kenny Galladay hits – and so what I did was I, I created a metric and I have a whole chapter in the book called density, which is just basically looks at once a player hits and I consider a hit for the start one, the historical start one positions, quarterback and tight end to be a top uh, 12 seasonal finish and running backs and wide receivers to be a top 24 seasonal finish. But once they hit now, what, right? What's the odds basically going forward what does that career arc look like? And I think when you think about really when you break down players into the players that have hit and that haven't uh, to date, it's a pretty big edge to take the wide at the, at the same cost to take the wide receiver that has hit versus the wide receiver that hasn't hit. Like that's a pretty, that's a huge spread in terms of likely uh, likely hit rates in future years. Uh, and so just understanding that was a, was a really, really big thing for me because it allowed me to, I wasn't particularly high on a guy like Kenny Galladay coming out and I didn't love the draft pedigree, but once he hits, I think you have to think about that in a different way. The other thing too, I would say is that, that I really learned was there's a ton of, our miss rate is really high and we don't, we don't control the outcome. Uh, but sometimes I think we think we do. Uh, we don't control the outcome. So we don't control how many touches a player gets or what role they get or, you know, are they going to fight with the coach or is Bill O'Brien going to, you know, trade their best wide receiver? Like we don't control those things. And as a result, you'll see the hit rate on players is pretty low. So you'll hear, you'll hear, uh, you'll hear people talk with certainty about things and about players and just based on their historic, uh, where they're going in drafts, like that implies a certain hit rate. And so you'll see 
you know, you'll see players uh, talked about as sure things when their historic ADP, or their ADP right now, certainly speaks to a lot more uncertainty. You know, for example, you know, round, uh, you know, round four, round five running backs, uh, about seven out of 10 of them hit, right? But I think people think that that would be a lot higher. Same with the middle rounds. I mean, you look at like round 10, for example, for a wide receiver, only 22% of those guys hit. And when you think about the types of players that are in that range, they're all the, there's a lot of oh, breakout contenders or people you know, talking them up. But when you sort of look at what the hit rate is, it's actually really low. So I think, I think understanding that was really a, a big thing for me in terms of uh, better understanding drafts and taking the proper risk. What, uh, what tends to be the uh, like re-hit rate of players who are like undrafted free agents who – do very well in year one, you know, maybe because of circumstance, maybe they play on a really bad team. There were a lot of injuries ahead of them. So like what tends to be the, the future hit rate of players who break out young as undrafted free agents? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I looked at that. And so I would say, I think it comes with the caveat that it matters what type of what you define as a hit. So I'm pretty like I, I don't put Terry McLaurin in there, for example, yet for and just to use him as an example, like there are these guys that have hit for wide receiver three seasons yet that I don't consider them across across that threshold yet. So that's that's one thing just to premise this conversation. Uh, it's pretty low, though, historically, is what you'll see. You just don't get a ton of there's not a ton of data in terms of guys that have hit from from outside of the outside of the the draft like it's just not something that happens all that common but i think generally speaking you'll get less than half of them will bounce back for a for a hit um and so like i look at the low pedigree guys and the udfa is a lot the same especially at wide receiver in in draft pedigree will impact different positions differently but you'll get a guy like Darius Slayton who people are projecting him to be a wide receiver one for the Giants right now and historically I mean five percent of the time that happens and is he one out of 20 maybe but 19 out of 20 times the bet the right bet is the other side and so I just I look at those things and anytime you get especially at wide receiver anytime you get a guy that comes from day three or UDFA that gets that jumps up to be either a early second round rookie pick value or a first round rookie pick value like that is it's really really good to trade that person at that cost and listen you'll miss on guys like Tyreek Hill but over if you do that over and over and over again it's a it's a really really positive EV type bet yeah. All right. Well, the last thing that I wanted to uh, to talk to you about before we head on out of here is, you know, what do you consider to be the ideal strategy in a dynasty startup draft? You know, this is a this is a conversation that you know again we have pretty much every time someone comes on the show. But you know, are you are you immediately trying to um, you know win win the first year? Are you punting on the first year and just taking you know all your favorite young dudes and bypassing you know because you'll always get to this stage in a dynasty draft you know it's around rounds 13, 14, 15. You'll get the the Alshon Jeffrey, the Larry Fitzgerald, the Golden Tate, like the the productive veterans who are you know just no one's going to give you a rookie pick for those guys in 12 months, but you know they're likely to give you stats in at least one year. Kind of how are you approaching these startup drafts? 
Yeah. So I, I talked about it in the book and I think there's, there's really two schools of thought. I would say one is to win now. And one of them is to, is to win uh, later. So it's primarily, and you had Ryan McDowell on uh, relatively recently talking about, uh, talking about, and he, you know, his big thing is productive struggle. And so really what I wanted to do was I actually looked at this because I said, there's, there's, there's data on this. We can figure it out. And so what I did is I went and I looked at teams that in 2019, I had a sample of teams or a sample of leagues. And I just looked through and I said, what's the, who trades away their, their future first round rookie pick. So their 2020 rookie pick. And who, and who is basically the acquirers of those? What percentage of teams do that? And then let's look and see what their, their rates to make the playoffs are. And so what I found was 24% of teams uh, traded away their first round picks, um, which is, um, you know, about, about a quarter. And then I found that 15% of teams were actually in surplus. So you get... Uh, those the 15% of teams are the ones that are acquiring the, the future first. I do think it's probably higher percentage of teams are trying to implement that, but it can be tough. I mean, I've been in these drafts where everyone's trying to trade down. So I, I, this is just a practical. That, I mean, that's every draft, every draft is people are just like, Oh, any, anyone want to trade up to the one Oh six or whatever? Like it's just every draft. Yeah. And so, so I do think it's a more, it's a more prominent strategy than is actually implemented because you get five, six, seven, eight of these people trying to do the same thing. There's no, there's no counterparty. So I do think there's some of that going on, but what I found was super interesting was the, the rate of making the playoffs of these teams. And so the teams that were neutral in terms of future picks, uh, 52% of them made the playoffs. So that is if you just didn't, if you just played it straight up and said, I'm just going to draft my team, 52% of them made the playoffs. If you traded away your first round rookie pick, 56.9% chance to make the playoffs. So that only bumps, it bumps you up less than 5%. And when you think about that, that's a big that's a big mortgage to make for just 5%. I think the, the, the opposite was, was that teams in, in surplus, I called them in surplus. So they had more than one first round rookie pick the next year, only 30% of them made the playoffs. But what I, I, I think that that is, I think there's an inefficiency there, which is I think the teams that are accumulating the future picks are, are also drafting suboptimally for year one, right? So they are taking, they are tending towards younger players. They are tending towards the guys that haven't broken out, the guys that have future lower hit rate risk. So what I have done is I sort of, I have a theory I call the two way go, which is I think you can do both, right? So it it takes a lot of discipline and it takes narrowing your board in terms of who you're going to target, but really, really being selective on the types of players that you're taking uh, especially at wide receiver, especially at wide receiver, but take guys like Larry uh, Jarvis Landry who have consistently been really productive, but are coming at a discount. And you know, instead of the corresponding player at that range, I don't know, Nikhil Harry or someone like that, that might be in the same range that has not hit because the odds that Landry hits again are a lot higher than the odds that Jarvis, uh, that, that Nikhil Harry will break out. 
And what, when you do that, you sort of give yourself the both best of both worlds. And what I think people miss out on in terms of accumulating future picks, people think you need to hold them. Or that's the narrative, at least. Oh, look, you're playing for next year's rookie draft. Well, if I own two or three 2021 first round picks and I'm a contender in November, right? I've got bullets to fire in terms of, uh, in terms of picking up players to help me, right? I have, I have the ability to make a trade to get a running back that can add me uh, one win over a placement in a, in a six to eight game span, right? I have the bullets to fire to do that. Uh, and so that's really what I've been trying to do is play is try and play this middle ground and there's value to do it at wide receiver this year. It's, it's really critical that it's the, you need to, to figure out a way to fit, fix wide receiver and get productive wide receivers that are, uh, that are safe at a good cost to do that. And so that's really what I'm looking to do. So I've traded out of the first round of multiple drafts this year and gotten guys like Mike Evans in the third, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. in the fourth. I mean, this is really ripe to exploit that. And so, and I've added future capital on in that process. And so that's not really me mortgaging my future. That is me actually getting ahead of the curve in terms of I'm, take, I'm picking six times in the first five rounds. I'm actually ahead of the curve and I've got the future assets, which if that's, if I don't turn out uh, well in year one, then I've got them in rookie drafts next year. But if I do, I've got them for bullets to fire in terms of uh, making an acquisition to make my team better uh, this year. So I think this year, you know, it's funny because I wrote this in the off season uh, and not knowing what the, the actual market would be. But I do think that after I wrote it and have tried to implement it, I think it's really, I think you can really do it this year. And it's, an ex it's a strategy that you can really exploit the market on this year, uh, operating that two-way go. Yeah, I uh, I definitely I definitely agree with you. All right, man, Jordan, this was a a fantastic conversation. I I really enjoyed it. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find the book? You know, kind of give them give them the spiel of the book. Yeah, you can find the the Analytics of Dynasty. It's the 2020 edition. You can find it at analyticsofdynasty.com/shop. So a lot of base rates, density rates, uh, a lot of superflex discussion. About a quarter of the books on on superflex, but there's other stuff. There's a lot of other stuff in the book if you're not into superflex, um, in terms of strategy and stuff like that. Um, I I also I have that there. If you're newer to Dynasty or thinking, hey, maybe I want to take the plunge, that jump into the 2019 edition. All that data is still new. These are evergreen books. They're not just, hey, pick these players in 2020, for example. They are, hey, this is the right strategy and this is the data behind it. Um, so that I have that book, the 2019 edition. It's on sale for $20 at analyticsdynasty.com slash shop. And if you're looking for more audio content or anything, I have my Patreon uh, I have my Patreon channel as well, patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. I have recorded a podcast. Uh, I've released a podcast a day since, I don't know, whenever I went into quarantine, which I think was March 16th. Um, and I've done every, I've done one every day and I have it all the way through the, uh, the NFL draft. I've committed to doing one a day. Um, so that I've have those podcasts and, uh, I have my dynasty tiers, which is a different take on rankings with some data in there as well. Um, and I have an actual ADP tracker tool as well. So you can find all that at patreon.com slash analytics at dynasty as well. All right. Well, uh, there we go. Jordan, thank you very much for joining the show. Everyone give Jordan a follow on Twitter. Check out his work on the analytics of Dynasty, and we will be back soon with more off-season content.
Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.